0: As we get started, pray with me. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you are a God through Christ who has overcome. Father, that there is hope in front of us. I pray this morning, Father, that your peace will fill this room. Father, I pray that you will fill us with expectation and excitement as we open your word. Speak to us today, Father, in Christ's name. Well, good morning. I'm uh, glad you're here today. You picked a great day to be with us as Living Church as we're beginning a brand new message series this morning entitled Puzzled. And the basic idea of this series is this. There have been times or seasons in your life, maybe you're going through one right now, where God's activity, or better yet, his inactivity or his silence, has left you, just to say the least, puzzled. Maybe you're going through something in your life right now that you never in a million years thought this was something that you would experience. This always happens to other people, and you don't understand, and you're puzzled. Maybe it's in a broader sense, and you just sit back, and you look at the world, and you see poverty, and you see the sex slave trade, you see drug addiction, you see war, you see all these things, and you think a good God would certainly do something about that, and you're puzzled. Or maybe, maybe it's something incredibly personal. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's something else, but you've been praying about it for a long, long time, and God hasn't seemed to answer. And it's tough. We're puzzled. And it's, and it's just hard to see a good God in that. And the prayer so many of us recited when we were little kids, remember this prayer? We used to pray before every meal. God is great. God is good. You can kind of finish the prayer. Maybe what you're going through, you think, you know, that kind of prayer is best left for children. Because honestly, that was really hard to believe when I was staring face first into a plate of broccoli. But that's really hard to believe when the real problems of life hit, right? And I mean, we want to have hope. We want to have faith. We want to see, want to see a good God and all that. But sometimes it's hard to see a good God. Sometimes it's hard to see a loving God, and we're just puzzled. So this morning, as we begin this series, what I want us to do is I want us to kind of start off, start off this whole thing by taking a look at maybe the most difficult, but certainly the most emotionally charged roadblock when it comes to faith and the belief in a good God. This morning, I want us to look at the problem of pain. Today's message is about that tension that exists between faith and God on one side and pain and suffering on the other. And this is a really important place to start because if you're a believer... Just like what we sang about, you need to know that God sees your pain, that God is somehow, as Scripture tells us, somehow he's involved and he's walking through it with us, he's in it, and that he offers hope, that he does care. But there's another reason. This morning's message is also important because there are people, maybe even some sitting in this room, who are outside the experience of God's grace because of something that happened to them Maybe something that happened to you a long, long time ago. The pain and the suffering you faced, maybe you've witnessed it firsthand. Maybe it's just that greater world kind of deal. And it makes sense. It makes sense, doesn't it, to think if a good God really existed, certainly if I can see it, certainly he can see it and he would do something about it. Some of those people are your family. Some of those people are your friends, and it's very important that we're prepared to have a loving, truthful response to those sincere questions. Maybe you need to address this in your own life, but certainly as you move out and try to share your faith and hope with others, you need to be, to, to, you need to be able to answer questions like that. Now, there are a number of ways to go about, do, to go about doing that, and this morning I want to highlight just one. I want to try to have a little bit of fun with it. Difficult topic, we try to have a little bit of fun. Do you remember years ago, maybe they still got it, the Staples commercial with the easy button? Right? Remember this thing? The commercials were great. They would show these maybe two office workers, and there would be this horrible office supply catastrophe taking place. Right? I mean, there would be this guy, he'd be having a toner emergency. He'd be out of ink, or it'd be a paperclip catastrophe, and his hands would be in the air. What am I gonna do? And his coworker would say, oh, that's easy, and would pull out the easy button. And he would look at it and say, just hit it. That was easy. And suddenly, all of the office supply problems would be answered magically. Everything would just appear. Okay? Remember that commercial? It was, it, 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 it was a brilliant commercial. Now, follow along with me. Let me ask you this question. Let's say tomorrow. Okay, I'm not sure where you'll be. Maybe you're in the kitchen making breakfast. Maybe you're alone in the car, whatever it is. But suddenly, and you got to play along here, suddenly Jesus Christ appears right with you. Play along, play along. It's just you and Jesus. And Jesus looks at you, and he knows what's been on your heart. He knows the questions you have, and he pulls out of his robe or his cloak, whatever he's wearing, an easy button. And Jesus says, here you go. I know what you're going through. I know the pain. I know the questions you have. And if you want to, you can hit this button. And as soon as you hit it, everything bad in the world will just go away. So let me ask you the question. If you could, if you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? Would you push the button? Seems like an easy question, right? Now, of course, there has to be a catch. And, and as you are hurriedly reaching for the button, for some reason, Jesus kind of pulls him back and says, hold on, hold on. I've got to tell you everything. You need to know that, that you're not the only one who's getting a button this morning. You're, um, your wife, your wife's getting a button. You're, um, your ex-wife, yeah, she's got a button too. Your kids. They're getting a button. You know that guy you cut off on the expressway yesterday? Somehow that guy knows your name, and guess what? Button. Guys, the guy's got a button. So suddenly, you look at that button and you think, maybe I should hurry up and hit it before they hit it, but maybe, maybe I'm just not quite sure right now. I mean, you sit there and you look at that button, and you think, I have the power to remove everything bad in the world. But what seemed like an easy question suddenly isn't so easy because you know that you've done some bad things. What, what about your kids, if you have kids? Think they've ever done anything bad? Maybe. How about your mom? Has your mom ever once done anything bad? Do you hit the easy button? You see, this, this is important because here's the point. The only way for God to remove our chief complaint against him is to remove all the complainers. The only way for God to remove our chief complaint about how could a good God, why, where were you, why didn't you stop this, why haven't you answered this, the only way for God to take care of that problem, the only way for God to remove or resolve the most emotionally charged roadblock when it comes to faith in a good God is to remove the complainers. And if he did that, then there wouldn't be anybody else left to complain. So it's a good question. I mean, you're right about that. It is hard to reconcile the existence of evil and with a good and all-powerful God. But before you push this button, let me ask you a question. Have you or anybody you love ever done anything bad? Now, here's why that's important. If you have a good reason why you would hesitate, if you have a good reason not to do away with everything and everyone bad, is it possible that God has a good reason too? I mean, a few minutes ago, you were thinking pretty seriously when you first found out the easy button. Man, you were on that button. I mean, you almost—I saw two of you—you you almost charged the stage. You wanted to hit that button. But now you've had a chance to think about it, and, and, and if you have a reason to hesitate, if you have a reason when it comes to hitting the easy button to think, ah, I, I just don't know if I should do that, is it possible that perhaps God has a good reason why he hasn't hit the easy button? You see, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you already know the answer to that question. You believe that God has a really important reason why he hasn't hit the easy button. And the reason is you. And the reason is me. I mean, Christians have always believed that the reason God does not wipe away all evil from the face of the planet is because that that means God would have to wipe out you. And God would have to wipe out me. And God would have to wipe out those people that I care about. And Christians have always believed, and Scripture teaches very clearly, that God is incredibly patient when it comes to the problem of evil. That even though God is heartbroken and sick and saddened by our pain, that just like you have a good reason not to hit the button, God has a good reason. Not to hit the button. The Apostle Peter who walked on the earth with Jesus, he also walked on water with Jesus. The Apostle Peter who stared into an empty tomb, who Catholics say were, was the first pope. The Apostle Peter whose name was synonymous with the early church, he, he wrote about this. If you have your Bibles, we're in 2 Peter chapter 3 and we'll be in first 9. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9, it's towards the back of your Bible. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. Here's how it reads. Peter writes this. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And we'll explain that promise at the end of the message. He's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead, watch this, he is patient. In other words, that thing that you would like to see happen in the world, all those bad things removed, Christians have always believed, Scripture teaches that God would like to see those bad things removed as well. That God is bothered by evil and pain and suffering even more than you are. Christians believe, and this is hard to wrap our minds around, that God in his sovereignty knows and feels and experiences our pain. Yet he hasn't stopped it. Why? Peter addresses that. Look at what he says next. He says instead about the Lord, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So I know, all that pain and suffering in the world, if you could push a button, and you could get rid of it all right now, and you would hesitate, is it possible that God has a reason why he hasn't pushed that button as well? Is it conceivable that if you have a reason that God has a reason, too. And Christians have always believed that you are the reason and that I am the reason. Now, all of this hesitation on our end, the fact that we'd hesitate to hit the easy button because of how it's going to impact us, it points out something bigger that a lot of times we don't want to look at. And what it points to is this. There is a level of hypocrisy in me, maybe in you, when it comes to complaining about the evil in the world, right? Right? I mean, the easiest way to see this is like this. If you have a problem, I pray for you. But if I have a problem, I question and doubt God. If you have a problem, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, I'm going to do that. I mean, if I'm in living community and somebody comes in and says, oh, we need to pray for somebody, my cousin's neighbor's friend, they lost their job, came home, and their house burnt down. Oh, man, that's hard. I'm going to pray for that person, right? I mean, I don't doubt God. That doesn't impact my faith. I mean, I'm praying for them, right? In fact, I, I know what I'll do. I think I'll get their email address, and I'll send them an email to tell them I'm praying for them. Can't mail to them. Their house burnt down. But, but, but I'll send them an email, right? I mean, that doesn't impact my faith. What is that? Why, why, when that happens to you, do I pray? and It doesn't impact my faith at all, but it happens to me, and I question, and I doubt God. What is that? That's weird, isn't it? It's a little bit of hypocrisy in me. You suffer, and I pray for you. I suffer, and I question, and I doubt God. And here's what it all boils down to. What it all boils down to, and don't feel bad about this. What it all boils down to is that all of us want a can of justice. Okay? Whenever we see injustice, just spray it. Just get it. All those people who... Who abuse kids, spray them, just get them, right? I mean, all those people who work for the IRS and don't pay their taxes, just gonna get them, right? You wanna do that, don't you? All the Republicans, you're scared, spray them. All the Democrats, thought I might get an amen there, spray them, right? I mean, wherever you see injustice in the world, you want to get your can of justice spray, and wherever it is, you just want to get it. Justice smells good, doesn't it? It smells good, right? I mean, you want to get your can of justice spray and just take care of it, right? We want that. You know what? There's something better. You know what else we want? What else we want is this. We want to can a bad spray, not bug spray. We want a can a bad spray. And whenever we see something bad, I'm on it, get it, it's gone. All those people who hang around playgrounds and sell drugs to kids, uh, 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 get them, right? They're gone. All those people who abuse other people, I'm going to get them. All those people in the sex slave trade industry, I'm just going to get them. They're gone, right? I mean, you want this. You want a can of justice spray. You want a can of bad spray. But here's the deal. Watch this. Here's what I want. Here's what you want, too. I want to be the only one who gets to hold the cans. Why is that? I know why it is for me. Because there have, time, there have been times when I have been unjust, and there are times when I have been bad, and, if, and I'm pretty sure it's going to happen again. And if you get a hold of these cans and you see me, you're just, I'm, I'm gone right? I mean maybe just maybe you'll think okay I've been there I've struggled with that too so maybe you won't spray me. But you know who we really don't want to get a hold of these bad boys? Who's that? God. I mean if an all-powerful, holy, righteous, omnipresent God would get a hold of these, I'm not going to make it to supper time. Right? I mean God's just going to have just going to have it out with me. And do you know what it points to? You know what it points to? It points to this. Really, when push comes to shove, I really don't want to get rid of all the bad things in the world, do I? Maybe you don't either. I don't want to get rid of all the bad stuff because eventually that's going to hit too close to home. Eventually, if I get rid of all the bad stuff, that means I get rid of everybody I care about. And it means that sooner or later, I'm gone too. Isn't that right? I mean, and what is that? That's just a little bit of hypocrisy in me. That says, I have a problem with the problem of pain and evil and suffering, but I don't want to get everything bad because I don't have sin. I've got some struggles or there's just some things going on, those kind of stuff. And I'm afraid that in the midst of getting rid of all the big bad stuff, maybe maybe I'd get rid of too. Now, all this points to... One thing that is an absolutely universal fact, whether you are Christian, atheist, religious, non-religious, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, everybody can agree on one thing. And here's what it points to. It points to this, that the world is broken. Not just human beings, but the entire world is broken. Tornadoes, tsunamis, drought, cancer, disease, disease war. The world is broken. Whether you're a believer or not, we can all agree on that. The world is broken. One of the great minds of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, wrote a fantastic book called The Problem of Pain, and he wrote about this very issue. He wrote about the undeniable fact that everyone on the planet thinks the world is broken. This is really going to cheer you up. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He wrote this. He said, not many years ago, when I was an atheist, If anyone had asked me, why do you not believe in God? My reply would have run like this. Look at the universe in which we live. By far the greatest part of it is empty space, cold and dark. On earth, life is so arranged that all forms of it can live only by preying on one another. In higher forms of life, there appears this quality called consciousness. It enables creatures to suffer pain, and in pain they mostly die. He's a happy guy. Human beings also have reason. Which enables them to foresee their pain, causing immense mental suffering. Reason also enables humans to inflict immensely more pain on each other. This power they have exploited to the full. Their history is largely a record of crime, war, disease, and terror. He's not done. Furthermore, the universe will one day cease to exist, all stories will come to nothing. All life will turn out in the end to have been a transitory and senseless contortion upon the idiotic face of infinite matter. I don't even know what that means. If you ask me to believe that this is the work of a benevolent and omnipotent spirit, I reply that all the evidence points in the opposite direction. By the way, happy Sunday. Right? I mean, I don't mean to bum you out exactly with that. But it's just this undeniable fact. Christian, religious person, atheist, doesn't matter. It's obvious that the world is broken. So here's the tension. For those of us who are followers of Christ, who believe in God, and maybe this is the reason why some of you have not taken that step, does the existence of suffering and pain and evil in the world Prove that God doesn't exist or, and this one's more difficult, if he does exist, what does the existence of pain and suffering and evil tell you about his character? It's a huge question. It's a huge question. What does it tell you about a God who could stop it and chooses not to? I remember when our son Andrew was maybe about nine months old, and we had to take him to the doctor to, uh, to get a shot. And it is just horrible to see a little baby, a little kid get a shot. And we go there, and poor Andrew, he is in the car, and he is just as happy as he can be, and he's thinking, I'm just having another great day in paradise. People change me. They feed me. It's fantastic. I don't see how this day could possibly go wrong. I'm thinking, it's about to all go wrong, okay? So we get there. We get to the doctor's office, and Andrew's as happy as can be, and the nurse comes in with the shot and gives Andrew the shot, and suddenly his perfect, wonderful day was over, and he's crying, he's screaming, he's beside himself. And then, and if you're a parent, you, you've had this before, he looks at me, not his mom, he looks at me right in the eyes, It is, look, I I, I interpreted it this way. I thought you loved me. (laughs) You know, I thought you cared about me. Why did you let this happen? I watched him cry. I saw that look. I interpreted it, so I picked him up, and I held him real close. And as I held him close and kind of walked away from Lisa, I said, Andrew, this was all your mommy's idea. (laughs) You see, we could have that morning. We could have stopped the pain. We could have stopped the pain and suffering that Andrew felt. That would have been easy for us to do. We could have not taken Andrew to the doctor. He didn't have to get a shot that day. All of that pain, all that suffering, that confusion, all that that he suffered, it could have been avoided. He didn't have to get a shot. But listen, because we knew as parents that that little bit of suffering would pale in, in comparison to the good that would happen, that he would be well, that he would better, that he would be better, that he would have a brighter future. We decided as parents, that little bit of pain, that little bit of suffering, it's nothing compared to what's coming. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. Flip back a few pages in your Bible to Romans 8, and we'll be in verses 18 to 21, and this is fascinating stuff that Paul writes. I just hope I can explain a little bit of this to you. It's so good. Here's what Paul writes about this topic. The Apostle Paul says, starts off, verse 18, He says, I consider that our present sufferings, it's important to stop right here, because listen, whenever somebody talks to you about pain or, or suffering, you need to know where they're coming from. You need to know that they've experienced it. And in a few weeks, if you know me and my story, I'm going to share with you my story of going through that. But the Apostle Paul here, the Apostle Paul knew a lot about pain and suffering. Most of what he wrote in the New Testament was written chained wrist to wrist to a prison guard. Paul knew about pain and suffering. Paul had been, Horrible things. Paul had been left for dead many times. In fact, if you're not a believer, you need to know this. Much of, of Christianity, the Bible, much of the church it took place in a context of uncertainty. The people who, who started the early church, many of them gave their very lives living out the mission that God had given them. They were acquainted with pain and suffering. So Paul says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Hold on, Paul. Stop right there. You're telling me as bad as things are, as broken as the world is, it doesn't even compare to what's coming next? He goes on, and this is so good. This is so good. Watch this. He says, For the creation, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What does that mean? This is so key. If, you, if you've tuned out, tune back in right here. You've got to hear this. Somehow, And I love how Paul just personifies creation. He gives creation those feelings of frustration and eagerness and all these things. Somehow, Paul says that creation itself realizes that things are not the way they should be. And somehow, creation is excited about, longs for, is eager for, can't wait, is holding its breath. One version says walks on tiptoe, is so excited about what is coming later. Paul goes on. He's for, he says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. Here's what this means. Follow me. This, this is so good. Just work with me. This, this is so good stuff. When mankind suffered, everything under man's authority suffered too. And you've experienced this. You've suffered because of what somebody else did. It wasn't fair, but it was true. You are predisposed to certain illnesses or, or disease because of the family history. It's not fair, but it's true. And creation has, in a very real sense, suffered in the same manner. Paul goes on, says, but it's, it's been subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, watch this, in hope. And this is so key, listen. Suffering, not for the sake of punishment, but for the sake of redemption. Suffering not for the sake of punishment, but for the sake of redemption. He goes on. He says that the creation itself, the hope is, that it will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Listen, this is just so rich. I want to just help you because this is so important, just to kind of wrap your minds around this just a little bit. Paul says that creation is frustrated. Creation, you know know what creation was meant to do? Creation was meant to serve mankind. Remember the creation account? If you have a Bible, way back at the beginning, way back, chapter one, Genesis chapter one, what did God do? He puts the human race in charge of all creation. God tells Adam and Eve that all of this is given to you. God uses words like this. He tells man, subdue it rule over it. I give this to you. And ever since that day, maybe it wasn't fair, but creation, its whole existence has been tied in with humanity. And when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? You know what God said when Adam and Eve sinned? He said, cursed is the ground because of you. That's strange. When humanity sinned, When humanity sinned, creation itself experienced, began to experience frustration. And the Bible tells us that one day, God will bring forth a new world. Scripture talks about a new heaven and a new earth coming. And God will put everything to rights. And creation will do what it was created to do. And man will be blessed by it. And there will be no more tears and no more suffering. But until that day, we wait. Christians have always always believed from the very beginning of the church that the world is broken and that the world longs for the day when it will no longer be in this adversarial relationship with mankind, but that it will be free to do what it was created to do. But until that day, it suffers, and we suffer, and God hates it, but he's patient. God doesn't hit the easy button. God doesn't hit the easy button because Peter says that it's God's will that no one would perish and that everyone would come to repentance. You see, we, we need to know this. And this is not an emotionally satisfying answer because there is no emotionally satisfying answer to the problem of pain. There's nothing we can say this morning that you will think, oh, okay, well, then I'm good with children suffering. I'm, I'm good with this bad that happens here. I'm good with drought. I'm good with famine. I'm good with all that. No, there's nothing we can say that's emotionally going to make us feel better with that problem. And do you know why? Because there's enough left of the image of God in you that is dissatisfied with and will always be dissatisfied with the problem of pain and suffering, innocent people who suffer. That's, that's the image of God in you, and he's patient, and he waits. Last story. Last year, my wife Lisa and I, we were in Mexico on a mission trip with back to back ministry. Some of you have been on these mission trips with us. And the place where we were serving last year was a completely heartbroken area. Some of you have been on these trips, you've seen this face to face. And one morning, we left to do some medical work out in this kind of jungle area. And when we showed up, the word had spread that the doctors were coming, and there was this long line of people who were waiting. The line was so long that by noon we had handed out numbers that we had to turn people away. We, 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 we were just in this area for the one day and we had to turn people away. At the end of the day, it had been a long, hot day. At the end of the day, people are loading stuff in, into the truck. One of the missionaries walks over and there's this little girl, she's 12 years old, and he recognized her and he said, can one of you see her real quick before we leave? We know her, can you see her? So Lisa, my wife, agreed to see the girl. This girl is 12 years old. She was homeless. Every earthly possession she had was kept in a raggedy backpack that that she carried along with her. She needed to see a doctor. My wife met with her. And in the course of talking with her, she found out that it was possible that the little 12-year-old girl could be pregnant. And what this meant, the missionaries told us, was one of two things. Either this little homeless 12-year-old girl is prostituting herself just to have enough money to eat. Or possibly she's involved in the sex trade industry. Somebody has their hands on her and they're prostituting her out, 12 years old. And her problem was that she might be pregnant. I was reminded that day, by one of the missionaries. As we, after we had seen everything, all the hurt, stuff that we couldn't even fathom, doesn't take place, we, we'd never seen this face to face. I was reminded by one of the missionaries that the ultimate hope for all of these people that they serve, the ultimate hope, the ultimate hope for us in our suffering is part of a verse right at the very end of the Bible. The ultimate hope is this. Come, Lord Jesus. The ultimate hope is come, Lord Jesus. Until then, we're going to push back. We're going to fight against. We're going to do everything we can to stem the tide. But there's nothing we can do to make it stop. The ultimate hope is come, Lord Jesus. So the summary this morning, the short answer on the problem of pain is this. If God removed evil from the world, he would have to begin with me. But I believe God entered this evil world through his son to forgive me rather than remove me. And listen, that is why, in light of all the pain and suffering that you see, that you've experienced, that that you're intimate with in a very real sense, that you can have faith. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, you're good. Father, we, you're good even when we can't see it. You're good, Lord, when everything in our life points to the contrary. God, fill us with your hope. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that pain and suffering is not the end of the story but that there is hope. Lord, much of that hope you can bring us here, but Father, you've promised. You've promised a place where we will be forever with you, no tears, no pain, no evil, no suffering. God, help us to fight against all the pain and suffering we see here. But Father, ultimately we know our prayer, our only hope is come, Lord Jesus Come. Until that day, Father, we love you in Christ's name.